our great God and our Father in heaven. We're thankful so much for this time that we can gather together as your people. This midweek Bible study, Father, to be able to recharge our batteries, to consider our lives, and to consider who it is that we're living for from day to day, and to consider your greatness, Father, in creating this world and all that's in it good, and revealing yourself through the things that you're seeing, through revealing yourself, especially through your word and how it is that you want us to live, and telling us how special we are in your creation, to telling us how loved we are by you and sending your son Jesus to die for us. And Father, may we never forget our place. May we never uh, surrender or submit to those who would tell us that we are descended from apes or descended from uh, single-cell organisms. Father, because it is that they choose not to glorify you, Father, it is that they've led many on a path of uh, despair, despondency, of of, uh, depression, and certainly, Father, a uh, life without hope. But it is with you, through your son Jesus, we have the greatest hope that mankind has ever known, the hope of eternal life, salvation through your son Jesus, the hope, Father, of better things. And may we always rest our confidence firmly upon Jesus and upon the grace that's to be brought us in his revelation. Bless you, Father, so much for what it is that you put in creation to point to yourself. And may it be, Father, that we always point men to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's begin this evening in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, open your Bibles, please. (coughs) Judges chapter 6, excuse me. Judges chapter 6, you begin with a man by the name of Gideon. And what you have in Judges chapter 6 is the Amalekites and the Midianites that are oppressing Israel, so much so that Israelites are having to dwell in caves. Um, They're pushed back, and uh, because Israelite and their idolatry, God delivers them over to the hands of the the Midianites and the Amalekites. When you look and see, the Bible says their hand was strong against Israel, and Israel is uh, fleeing before them. The angel of the Lord comes in verse 12 to a man by the name of Gideon. And uh, the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Look at what Gideon's question is there in verse 13, because it's the same question we're dealing with this evening. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Don't we struggle with this same question today? Don't we still have the same questions that Gideon had, you know, ages ago? When we begin to look at our lives and look at all that befalls us just in a 60 or 70 or 80 years uh, time span, whatever it is that we're allotted, and you look and you see the way things are in our world, and you see the difficulty and the depression and the, the things that happen to us, the question becomes, if God really is all-loving, if it is that he really cares for me, then why is it all this evil befallen us? Why did my child have to hurt? Why did my friend be the one that have to die? Why does my wife have to have the one that has cancer? Why do the ones I love have to suffer? You know, doesn't God care? Doesn't he want to prevent those things? How is it we reconcile an all-loving, all-good God with the evil and the difficulty that we see around us? We study about evil, pain, and suffering and lessons like this for two primary reasons. Well, three primary reasons, I guess, if you're going to put it like that. Why study about evil, pain, and suffering? Number one, because you're going to find that it's the strongest case that atheists can make against Christianity. It is the strongest case that atheists can make against Christianity. Um, it's in the realm of the things that we know. And they say, if God is all good, if there is such a thing as an absolute moral good, then why is there evil in the world? Why doesn't that God do something about it? We'll look at that just a little bit closer here in just a moment. Number two, 
reason why we study about evil, pain, and suffering is because sooner or later, the problem of evil, the question of evil is going to come to you. It's going to be brought about some point in your life that suffering is going to be brought about. Ecclesiastes 3, made popular by the birds in the 1960s. To everything, turn, 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 there is a season, time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what's planted, a time to kill, a time to heal. In all of those things that the creature writes about in Ecclesiastes, he's saying there's going to come a time when those type of things are going to come to your doorstep. There's going to be times whenever it is that you want to laugh. There's going to be other times that you want to cry. How do we reconcile and how do we handle suffering whenever it is that it comes to us and comes to our uh, doorstep? The third reason is really the thing that uh, ties us all together is that when evil, pain, and suffering affect us, God doesn't want your faith in him to waver. God doesn't want us to be shaken and have to shake our fist at the sky and say, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? It's God's will that we understand how it is that we can reconcile him and his nature with the problem of evil, pain, and suffering. It's not a new question. Why does God allow evil? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Um, about 300 years before Christ, and you might have seen this framed in different ways, but uh, you would come across a man by the name of Epicurus. And Epicurus framed it like this. And again, you might have seen this before. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's not omnipotent. That is, he's not all-powerful. God can do something about evil, but he doesn't, then, or that he can't. Uh, then he's not all-powerful. The second part of this, if God is able to prevent evil, but he's not willing to it, then it means that he's malevolent. He's not all-good. There's an element of God that's bad because uh, he's able to prevent it, but he's not going to. Then God is malevolent. The third part of this for Epicurus's argument is, is he both willing and able, then why is there evil? Whence cometh evil? If God is willing to prevent evil, if he's able to prevent evil, why do we still have it? The fourth part of it is, is he neither able nor willing? He doesn't want to, and he can't. Therefore, why are you calling him God? And again, Epicurus was uh, uh, from 341 to about 270 B.C. That's uh, 341 years before uh, Jesus. If there's a God who wishes to prevent evil, but he can't, he's not omnipotent, and therefore he's not God. If God who has the power but doesn't have the desire, well, he's not omnibenevolent. God is love, 1 John 4, verse 8. But if God is willing, but he's not, or excuse me, if he's uh, powerful enough to do it, but not willing, then he's not all loving. If God, therefore, has power and the desire, why do we face this? On the surface, it seems to be a pretty airtight case, doesn't it? When you look at it, you say, well, I know our God is powerful. I know our God is all-powerful. I know that our God is all-loving. And so if those two things are put together, then how is it that we still have to deal with the problem of evil, pain, and suffering in this world? I want you to know forthright, there's not an element of this that's true. It's all false, okay? Um, those people who make this argument don't understand God. What they're making the assumption is, is that God wants to take out evil out of this world because they haven't read his word. They haven't read the word of God. 
I may not necessarily be able to, and you probably won't either, answer all the questions on evil, pain, and suffering. But there are two very important concepts from God's Word that we do know, and you know them too, for when this question comes to you. Are you right? The first question is uh, from Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. First principle of this thing that we know for sure. Genesis 18 and verse 25, Abraham talking to uh, the messenger, talking to God, there are three that have come and uh, one of them is the Lord, the two of them are going down to Sodom and Gomorrah in order to um, look and see if the wickedness is as great as it seems. And Abraham is there and he realizes God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What does he begin to do? begins to talk to God, he begins to bargain with God and say, well, God, if there's 50 righteous people, would you destroy the city? And God says, no, I'll spare the city for 50 righteous. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And he gets it all the way down to 10 righteous. But note right in the middle of his arguments, as he's making these appeals to God, note what he says there in Genesis 18 and verse 25. Abraham says, uh, far be it from you, Lord, to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? That vast part is very, very important. What we can know about God is that God is just. God is fair. God is going to do what's right. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be nobody that skates or goes under the wall in heaven. God is going to deal with every transgression and every uh, uh, everything that he sees as a transgression against his law or a transgression against neighbors, God is going to deal with all of those things. There's not going to be anybody that escapes uh, as far as his punishment goes. God is going to do what's right. The second part of it is over in the New Testament from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. And here is the second aspect of this. We know something about God and his nature that we can say this, God is love. He who does not love does not know God, for God equals love. God in his very nature, and his very character, is loving. And if God is going to do what's right, and God is loving, then I have to bring both of these into, uh, into focus. Here's how we do it. And we'll phrase this as a logical um, syllogism, a uh, if I were going to make an argument about something, this is the way that I would do it. First thing we know is God is love. The second thing we know about love is that love allows freedom of choice. Is that true or false? <laughs> Gentlemen, as you knelt down and proposed to that woman, that bride of yours, and you said, will you become my wife? What are you doing? You're giving her the choice. It wasn't like the cave drawings of the people hitting their spouse over the head with a bowling pin or a rolling pin and dragging them off into the cave. It's not that. That's not love, right? Love allows freedom of choice. What did God do at the very beginning in the garden? He didn't make mindless robots, did he? He put man and woman there in the garden, and he set them in the midst of everything good, but right in the middle of the garden, he put what? The tree of knowledge of good and evil, and he said, don't eat from that tree. Genesis 2, 15 and 16. Don't eat of that tree from the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. What did Adam and Eve do every single day that they would walk by that tree and not eat of it? They made a choice, 
but by following that, weren't they displaying their love of God? By God saying, this is the boundary, don't cross this boundary, Adam and Eve every day when they began to walk by that tree and choose something else, they're displaying they're abiding in God's love and the fact that they're making the choice that pleases God. What does Jesus say about that? John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. How do we display our love for God and our abiding in his love today? Well, we walk in the light just as he is in the light. We follow Jesus. We keep his commandments. We look into his word and say, that's all I want to do. That's our plea of New Testament Christianity is just let's do this. And in doing so, we know that we're abiding in the love of God. We're abiding in the love of Christ. So if God is love, love allows freedom of choice. Here's the therefore. Therefore, God allows freedom of choice. God is not going to whack you over the head and say, you're going to follow Jesus. Now, in his providence, we see him shaping circumstances and things in order to get his desired end. Looking at Jonah, God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah gets up. He goes completely opposite direction. He boards a ship uh, bound for Tarsus, right? He gets there in the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden, uh, the waves are are going nuts, and, and the sailors are looking at him going, why is this happening? And Jonah says, it's because of me. He said, throw me into the sea. Everything's going to be fine. They threw him into the sea. Jonah had three days of time out, as it were, in the belly of that fish. And as he's there in that belly, uh, he prays to God. He prays a beautiful prayer and saying, I see things God's way. God didn't whack him over the head and say, Jonah, you're going to do exactly what I said. God allowed him the circumstance where it was that he was sitting in that smelly, stinky animal until it was that that fish vomited him back out. And God said, Jonah, Go to Nineveh. Same thing that he said, chapter 1, verse 1. God allowed Jonah to make that right choice. God allowed Saul of Tarsus to understand who Jesus was and to make that choice based upon him meeting him there on the road to Damascus. God allows us to have freedom of choice. That's the basic premise or the basic argument about evil, pain, and suffering. Now let's make some observations. Questions about that before we move on. Observations, thoughts, complaints. Yes, ma'am. Janice makes a good point, one that's not uh, listed here amongst our, uh, among our other points. She said, it seems to me that if God takes away all evil, pain, and suffering now, then why do we have promised for us a place called heaven? It's an excellent point to be made. Excellent point to be made. Anything else before we move on? All right, operating off of this basic framework, God is love, love allows freedom of choice, therefore God allows freedom of choice. Let's talk about why it is that we here in this life face evil, pain, and suffering. Number one, it is because sometimes of the personal wrong choices that we make. The personal wrong choices that we make. We are created in the image of God. And because we have knowledge of good and evil, we do make wrong choices from time to time, don't we? Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're still there in 1 John 4, uh, flip a couple pages over to 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're looking at verse 15. (laughs) 
Peter talking to these people about conducting themselves as pilgrims, as sojourners, as journey on a journey here in this world. What does he say in 1 Peter 4 and verse 15? He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody busybody in other people's matters. Wait a minute, Peter, you're telling me there can be suffering that's brought about if I kill somebody, if I gossip about somebody, if it is that I steal from somebody, or I uh, am just generally an evildoer. Peter, is there suffering that can be brought about that? The answer is yes, absolutely. Um, You look at things like 9-11, you look at any number of school shootings that we've had over the past 20 years that have been so prominent in the media. And the atheist comes and he says, your God could have prevented that. To which we say, not if he wanted to preserve freedom of choice. God is going to allow that person to make that personal wrong choice. Now, if he wishes to retain man's freedom of choice, he gives us that. What if one man uses or misuses that divinely given right? He will cause suffering. Brother and sister, we will make wrong choices. When we choose to commit sin, there's going to become difficulty and pain and suffering. The choice to sin that we make is always going to come with consequences, without exception. There's always going to be a consequence for the choices, the wrong choices that we make. You know, when we talk to our kids and we tell our kids, you need to make the right kind of friends. You need to think about and obey your parents and go to school. Why? Because if you don't, there's going to come evil, pain, and suffering to your life. Well, that's what was happening back in Gideon's day. Uh, The very first sentence of verse 1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. God caused them to suffer for those things. There's suffering that's brought about when I myself choose sin over what pleases God. Questions or comments about that point? 1,003, 1,004, 1,005. All right. Secondly, because of the wrong choices that others make. Because of the personal wrong choices of other, uh, because others make. How many people have suffered at the hands of other people? I know we've got a lot of veterans in here. I know we've got a lot of veterans that if they had their choice, they wouldn't have had to go to another country or another place and fight for freedom, fight for um, the cause that, uh, that were you know, there in World War I, World War II, uh, Vietnam, Korea, all those different things that, that we've had to fight. Bad choices of bad men, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, to make it closer. Teenagers driving home from a party and a drunk driver crosses the median and smashes and kills them head on. When parents sitting at that funeral feel that anger and that pain of loss and they ask the question, why did my child have to die? Brothers and sisters, please, as an aside, let me caution you in those situations. Please don't say it's God's will. You're speaking outside of the written will of God, and you're saying something that's really foolish in nature. You're going to tell somebody that it was God's will that that man, drunk, get behind the wheel of that car and go smash into that car full of teenagers. And we say, well, (laughs) you know, we like to know why. And the reason why is because somebody's misused their freedom of choice, their personal freedom of choice. They've abused that. And we'd like to say, okay, well, how do we protect ourselves? 
let's just give freedom of choice just to a very few. This is what's happened in our airline industry, right? You've got Department of Homeland Security that makes you go through the thing where you hold your arms up like that. And we're expecting that those people are going to keep us from people's wrong choices and getting on the airplane and hijacking that airplane and taking it uh, and crashing it into a building. Well, what if we gave all the power to Andy Baker? What if we gave everybody's freedom of choice to Andy Baker or Steve Lehman? I think I gave you freedom of choice earlier this, uh, this quarter, right? That, no, 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 Steve was going to decide what was uh, uh, scripturally inspired, what was not scripturally inspired. Steve said wisely, no, I don't want that. Um, God is no respecter of persons, Acts 10, verse 34. He gave everybody the freedom of choice. Well, the question still remains, brothers and sisters, how do we, how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect ourselves from people's wrong choices? Might I suggest, preach and teach the gospel. If you take everybody in Richmond, Rosenberg, Sugar Land, all of these communities surrounding here, and you make them all New Testament Christians, I guarantee you, faithful New Testament Christians, you're going to have less people walking into a liquor store and robbing it at gunpoint. You're going to have less people getting out on the road and driving drunk. You're going to have less people that are causing suffering because of their personal wrong choices, because of their obedience and their submission to Jesus Christ. To be honest, the gospel message is really the only way that God has ever given us to shape people's choices into something that's not going to cause pain and suffering, evil pain and suffering. Into our hands, the gospel is given. Into our hands is given the light. We suffer because of personal wrong choices of others. How about this? We suffer because of the personal wrong choices of prior generations. Prior generations. We're sitting here this evening in this nice air-conditioned building. We're sitting here on nice padded pews. We're sitting here as a result of us getting in the car and driving in our automobiles. We're reaping the benefits of prior generations and their ingenuity and the ways that they solve problems for us who live now in southeast Texas. Surely we don't think we're just enjoying the benefits with nothing on the other side. What are we talking about? Well, one of the things that you begin to think about is about how poverty affects our world. And about, I don't know, but you, I haven't watched Sunday afternoon TV in a long time, but it used to be that you could watch one of those Sunday afternoon TV movies and almost invariably you would have pictures like this that were shining or uh, uh, showing on TV and saying, won't you help the hungry children over in Africa? And the atheist will look at Christianity and say, if your God is all-powerful, your God could have prevented that. You know, if your God was all-powerful, your God could have prevented things like slavery in our country. And the answer is, brothers and sisters, is that's not what God wants. If you look at those nations that do that, those nations had generations long gone that said, instead of feeding the nation with the animals that walk around that are revered as deities, instead of doing that, we're going to kill those things and feed our nation and feed our children and breed them. But they chose to take those animals and worship them. So the children go around hungry. That's not what God wanted. God told us, little children, keep yourselves from idols. God said, don't make graven images. Don't set any other gods before me. And if those 
generations prior had listened to that counsel, if they had done those things, those nations would be in a far different state. But we look at those suffering and the evil and the pain that are going on, and we have to understand that's not God's fault that those things are happening. You know, God giving the Ten Commandments, as we've been studying about on uh, on uh, Sunday nights, you remember in Exodus 20 and verses 4 and 5, where it talks about you shall not bow down uh, to, uh, uh, to an image. He says that God is going to be visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. And there's some that will look at that and say, well, see, there's, there's generational sin. What he's talking about in that context is here is a line of grandfathers teaching fathers this behavior and fathers teaching children and children teaching their children and children teaching their children until the point where because they have spurned the word of God, because they haven't listened the way that God wants them to, now you have generations that are suffering based upon one particular sin that they won't repent of, that they won't change from. It's not that God is going to punish the children for something the fathers did. Ezekiel 18 deals with that quite well. But it is that God is going to allow those people to continue in that line because he's going to preserve their freedom of choice. You have a grandfather that smokes. And he goes on, he teaches the son, uh, the son to smoke. Now that father's got children and he's uh, puffing away at the cigarettes, what are the child going to do, statistically speaking? Well, he's going to start smoking. What's that child just going to do if it is that that's going to go on? There's a continual line of those things. And until somebody looks and says, you know what, this is not good. This is not what we want. This is not especially what God wants and breaks that cycle and says, I want to do what pleasing, what's pleasing the Lord. You can be guaranteed that there's going to continue to be evil, pain, and suffering. Questions about any of these so far that we're moving along? You can back up if you'd like to. Thoughts, observations? How are we doing? It's deep stuff for Wednesday evening, right? Hang in there. Hang in. Number four. Why is there evil, pain, and suffering? Because we live in a world of natural law. We live in a world of natural law. You ever been in a car crash? What's the result? Pain, suffering, depending on how, the, how bad the car crash is. Um, you have a 747. That stalls out and slams into a mountain. Well, that's not God's fault. The child that chooses to play Superman and try and jump off the roof off the house only to end up in the emergency room to get a broken leg set. Is there pain and suffering? Did that child make a personal wrong choice? They did. But the result of that comes also with the failure to appreciate or maybe in some cases the failure to understand natural law. I have vivid memories of my grandfather at the little um, church there in Tyler. Uh, for some reason, the clock on the wall, maybe it was daylight saving time or something, but uh, the clock on the back wall was, uh, was stalled or stopped or something like that. And my grandfather got up there and it was electric. And so he started pulling the wire out from the wall and uh, it, uh, it, the, the wires crossed and it arced really, really big. And he jumped back and, and thought, you know, there's, there's, there's power in that and a little, little, a uh, gentleman that was helping would yelp every single time. And so all of us are sitting there in the pews just going, what's going on? Yeah, but uh, there's there's pain that's involved if we don't understand the way things work, the way that natural law is. Um, look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. 
God gave us senses to be able to understand the natural laws of this world. And in Genesis chapter 21, verse 8, after he had created man, note what the commandment to man was. God blessed man, male and female. He blessed them. And he said to them, verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and, what does yours say? Subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. The way God created this world is that he wanted man to explore the way God had made it, the things that he had made, to fill the earth, to subdue it. And by us harnessing the power of things like electricity or harnessing the things like gravity or solar power or those things, we're exploring the world, we're putting things together, and we're understanding the way that natural law works. However, sometimes it is we don't necessarily understand or appreciate those things, and you can almost guarantee that there's going to be evil, pain, and suffering that's going to result from that. There's going to be difficulty and suffering, whatever it is that um, somebody mixes two elements or two chemicals together that he doesn't know what's going to be the result, and it explodes in his face. We're living in a world of natural law. And God, as he created this world and told us to fill the earth and subdue it, investigate the natural world, but use caution. Use caution. Look at Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Here's some people coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, here are some folks that suffered at the hands of Pilate. There were those present at that season who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus says, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they'd suffered these things? He said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus draws from another example, verse, 14, uh, verse 4. Or did those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse sinners than all the other men who, who were in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unlike, uh, and unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus says, here's 18 people, and I I don't know if this was current in the news, but here's a tower in Siloam, and this tower began to fall. It wasn't that those 18 were exceedingly wicked men and God was bringing some kind of justice on them. It was that the tower began to fall and gravity took over and it smashed them. That's the way it is. Jesus says we need to be thinking about eternity. We need to think about what comes after this. We need to think about making our lives right with the time that we've been given here in in, in this life. You know, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants us to think about the time that we have. But there's natural law that's in place. When you have one car traveling 65 miles an hour, another car traveling 65 miles an hour going down the way, and one of them accidentally sideswipes the other one, well, there's probably going to be some pain that's going to result and damage that's certainly going to be a part of that. Um, what if... What if God, every single time he wanted to prevent somebody from getting hurt, suspended the laws of physics? What if he did that? What would be the result? Do what? (laughs) The whole world would be stymied. I'm going to need a thesaurus or a a dictionary or something. What's stymied? (laughs) The whole world would be stopped. What if you're just walking down the street and somewhere over in Timbuktu, God is stopping somebody from getting hurt. All of a sudden, you're stopped. And then next thing you know, you start going again. 
that's no longer a world of natural order. That's no longer a world of natural law. In fact, that would probably be more of an argument for chaos, an argument for atheism, than an argument for God, who put those natural laws into existence. We are living in a world of natural law, and it cannot be stymied. I learned a new word today. That's vocabulary building, always, always. All right, number next, number, was it number five? How about the benefits of pain and suffering? Are there benefits to pain and suffering? Ask Paul. What did Paul have to say about it, George? When you look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh, um, he looked at it, he prayed, God, take this away from me, or Lord, take this away from me. Three times he prayed, and we're not talking about a little thorn, we're talking about something that was like a spike that was being pounded again and again and again. That's the force of the... And instead of that, the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient. And Paul said, therefore, I'll boast in my infirmities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Think about these as we uh, conclude this lesson this evening. Benefits of pain and suffering. Doesn't pain warn us of greater hurt? Mom and dad wake up in the morning and they feel a little tightness in their shoulder and their arm, their left arm, it's a tingly a little bit. And they don't think anything about it and they start coughing a little bit. And as they go throughout the day, they feel that tingling getting greater and stronger. What could it be? Could be a heart attack, right? Where would they be if they didn't have that pain to warn them of that greater hurt? Um, pain sends us to the doctor for cure a lot of times, unless we're men, and then we fight it kicking and screaming until our wives force us to go. But that's, that's neither here nor there. Pain sends us to the doctor for cure because we realize that if there's pain occurring in this part of us, then generally there's something wrong that's going on somewhere else in us. Our pain can be a blessing, as George mentioned. It uh, uh, warns us of greater uh, potential, greater hurt. Pain <clears throat> helps us to develop our character. Pain helps us to develop our character. Struggle is a powerful force in the motivation. Uh, it's a powerful motivating force in the development of character. Somebody that was raised up in poverty may have to struggle to make sure that his children or his or her children don't suffer the same thing. Um, I think it was Troy a couple of months ago whenever he was doing his lesson or his devotional on butterflies and talking about how if we were to take and try and open up the cocoon ourselves, that butterfly wouldn't have the strength in his wings. He wouldn't have the strength to survive on his own. But as that butterfly struggles out of that cocoon, it's developing the muscles and the strength that's going to take it and help it to last throughout the rest of its life. You know, an oyster that doesn't be, hasn't been hurt is not going to make a pearl. Sometimes the hurts that we go through and the difficulties that we go through, we think, why me, why me, why me? I had a preacher that talked about his wife having a severe debilitating disease, and, and there were a lot of people saying, I don't know why, it just had to happen to this wonderful, beautiful person. And her, her answer was almost always, I'm not going to say, why me? I'm going to say, why not me? Now, Christians, we've been equipped with the greatest support system this world has ever known in the gospel. 
And we've been equipped to handle pain and suffering really like no other. But to realize that God wants us to face those things with the understanding that our character is being developed. That's all James chapter 1, verses 3 and following. How about the benefits of pain and suffering? The greatest human qualities are seen in adversity. I was not here during it, but I'm told during Hurricane Harvey, there were a number of Christians, a number of members, all the members of the Great Road Church of Christ who were activated, who were seeking out members, who were seeking out neighbors, who were um, preparing meals to take to different people to help people in whatever way that they uh, needed. That arose because of a tragic situation in the form of a hurricane that came on shore and stayed on shore for what? Days. Difficulty, sorrow, pain, loss, suffering, all of those things, but it also put the people of God into action to be able to meet those needs in the loving, caring, compassionate side of God. We talk about soldiers. Where are things like courage and valor and bravery and, and fortitude? Where are those things proven, shown? They're in the heat of a battle. A battle that's causing evil, pain, and suffering, but at the same time, you find the greatest of the human qualities shining through. What about this? Benefits of evil, pain, and suffering. People realize their priorities when they're faced with sorrow and pain. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. Better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for that's the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Solomon's saying it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. When you're going to a party, you're thinking about how great it is to have all these friends. When you're going to a funeral, you're thinking there's a person there in that box or in that memorial service. That's coming to me. It's going to be a matter of time unless the Lord comes first that this body that you see before you is going to exhaust its ability to continue in this earth. How have I prepared myself whenever that time comes? Benefits of evil, pain, and suffering. This goes along with what George said. Suffering can make us long for a better life. Suffering makes us long for a better life. Don't ever forget, Christians, the best is yet to be. Best is not already past. The best is not here and now, as the beer commercials would like us to believe. This is all there is. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. For us, doesn't matter how good things get in this life, the best is yet to be. Doesn't matter how bad things get in this life, the best is yet to be. Questions or comments about any of those things before we finish up? Yes, sir, Stan. Preach and teach the gospel. Believe the gospel message. Practice the gospel message. Share the gospel message. Because it promises we have a God that's never going to leave us nor forsake us. We've got a Savior that promised, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We know that we're living for him. We know that he's never going to abandon us. And even through our sorrow, Jesus cares for us. Benefits of evil, pain, and suffering. Thank you all so much for your time and attention this evening, and I hope this class has been beneficial to you, uh, to those of you who have been regularly here in this quarter, and we will look forward to next quarter.
Thank you all very much. God bless you.